We are, uh, we've been going through a series for the last few weeks looking at our purpose and practices uh, as a church, uh, with the exception of last week where we took a bit of a detour into John 4 uh, when we had the dedication service last week. So, can anyone tell me what our purpose statement is as a church? This is the really dangerous bit, right? Because this is where I find out nobody's been listening for weeks on end. So, uh, loving God and loving others. Well done, Jamie. Excellent. Gold star for you. This is not working. Um, there we go. Loving God and loving others. So that's the easy one, though, because we have one of those and we have eight practices. Now, is there any chance that we're going to get through all eight of them? I'm going to give you, some, give you a clue. The next slide will show you the images that go with them. So we're going to start in the top left uh, and we'll go from there. Can anyone help me with that one? Meeting together. Well done. Next one. <coughs> No. Sharing our lives together. That's right. That image has caused a bit of consternation among the leadership group, but I put my foot down. We are technologically savvy in this church. That is a sharing emblem from a technological spot from a computer. But anyway, it doesn't matter. It's clearly not helping people. What's the third one? Love one another. Uh, yeah. The fourth one? No. Forgive one another. That's right. Uh, then we're into bottom left, Duncan. Yay, we're going to encourage one another. Brilliant. Yeah, that's right. And that's important. We're going to encourage and be encouraged. Uh, fifth one? This is where everyone went to sleep in that sermon. We're going to welcome all. Yeah, that's right. We're going to welcome all. That's right. Uh, fifth, uh, seventh one. Six, seventh, yeah. Serve community of Portobello and surrounding areas. And actually right now we've got the chance to do that. So uh, there will be something like 30 social ultramarathoners in our back hall being fed by some folks from our church at the moment because we found out that we're going to be here. The weather forecast was dreadful. Well, we realize how good weather forecasts are. Um, so we offered them the chance to have their halfway round break. I mean, anyone that runs 33 miles on a Sunday, I think, deserves a bit of credit. So uh, we, one of our guys runs with them. And so we said, well, listen, why don't we offer our space as a place for them to have a rest halfway round? So somebody's in the Back feeding them scrambled egg rolls. So that's an opportunity for us to serve our community. And what's the last one? Joining God on his mission in the world. That's right. And uh, you're going to hear a lot about these. We're going to bore you to death about them for months and months and months. And you'll be sick of them. But when we come back, you will absolutely know all eight of them. Um, because these are going to be things that we're going to try and lean into in really practical ways. 
that we're going to try and show the love of God to uh, the world around us and to one another by using these practices. Now, one of the things that came up, uh, we were on a leaders retreat yesterday, we went away for the day, we spent the day together, we talked about where we're at as a church and where we're going and some of the hopes we have, some of the dreams we have, some of the challenges we face. And we were talking about this and somebody made a brilliant point. They said, we need to be really practical about this. What, what, what does this actually look like in practice? And so one of the things that's going to make an appearance uh, at the beginning of March, so that's uh, next week, in Buzz, is that for each month we're going to take one of these, so the first one will be meeting together, and we're going to give a really practical example of something you could do, and we're going to encourage people for that month to practice that simple thing that we could do. So when we say we will meet together, the full statement is we will meet together, adults and children, to listen to God, to learn about God, to worship God, and to put his words into practice. And so we're going to look for people just to gather together in a group at some point, over the month, just to share something exciting about what God's done in your life. That's all. Simple, right? And we begin to live these out in really practical, simple ways. And then the next month is we will share our lives together, celebrate our faith together, eat meals together, have fun and laugh together. We're going to encourage you to perhaps eat a meal, share a meal with someone that you haven't shared a meal with before. That might be as simple as coming down on a Friday night or it might be accepting an invitation to join someone on a Sunday after church. Simple, practical things we can do to begin to figure out what it is to love God and to love others here in Portobello. But that's not all that we put in when we made this uh, new statement. We actually put in a little preamble. And the preamble says this. Relying upon the grace, mercy, patience, kindness, power, and love of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we will express our purpose using these practices. And then we go on to list the practices. And I wanted to keep this preamble to the end because it's really, really important. I don't know about you, but when I'm reading things like this, I read the top bit, I go, our purpose is to love God and love others, and then we go, blah, 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 blah. We will meet together, and we skip these things. But it's really important that we don't skip this. Because if we do skip it, the real risk is we end up thinking that what we're asking us ourselves to do or what we're committing to do is try harder, to work harder, to be better. Now, has anyone in here ever felt challenged by God about something and then thought, right, I'll just try harder? Right? Is there anyone in, anyone in here? Right? There must be. There's a few. Right, okay. And how did that work out for you? Did you eventually get to a place where you went, oh, man. So we're pretty clear that trying harder can't be the solution. It can't be the solution. And so it has to become something else. And it's this. It's relying upon God. And we've broken down some of the ways that we want to rely on God in there. It's relying on God. You must not hear, you must not hear this as a, here's a burden that we want to lay on you of some stuff that you have to do if you want to be part of Portobello Baptist Church. Because that burden is too heavy. And it's not on us to lay anything on you that God hasn't already laid on you. And the good news is God's not laid much at all on you. So, how do we do that? We are going to be a reliant people. 
not about trying harder, but about becoming the people God wants us to be by relying on him. And in particular, relying on these things, on grace, the grace of God. The grace of God. Let me read to you a scripture. If you have your Bibles with you today, you might want to keep them open. We're going to hop around the New Testament, the Old Testament. We're going to be all over the place this morning. So I want to read to you some verses from 2 Corinthians, chapter 12. The Apostle Paul, he says this. I'm going to actually start from verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Paul has been complaining that he has a thorn in his flesh. But he said, that is God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, the grace of God is the basis of it all. Not about our strength, not about our power, not about any of that, but actually the grace of God. The stopping of striving, the realizing that God has been kind to us and good to us in Jesus Christ. And we no longer need to strive to please God. That is grace. All grace. It's unmerited. It's not because you suddenly got yourself to a place where suddenly, actually, God thought, ah, Winnie, you've just about cracked it now. You're good enough for me. It's not the way it works. God, how long ago, Winnie? 75 years ago? 80 years ago? When you were, 75 years ago, you were baptized, I believe. Is that right? Something like that? And God said, Winnie, I love you. That's why I want to call you to me. Not because somehow, after a certain number of years, we get to a place that we've been good enough. It's grace. All grace. All grace. And so we want to rely, first of all, on the grace of God. And then, on the mercy of God. Now, if grace is the giving to us of all that we don't deserve, so just God's unmerited favor on us, something we haven't worked for, then mercy is that we don't get what we do deserve. Where we fail, where we let God down. He never says, right, enough, I'm done with you. Be gone, get out of here. You're too big a sinner for me. You've got too many problems. You're just too much hard work. I'm fed up with you. You keep coming back with the same old stuff. I'm done. Fed up. Too many of us live as though that's who God is. And he's not like that at all. God has said, yes, you may well deserve some judgment. You may well deserve some punishment. But do you know what? The cross has paid it all. It's done. It's dusted. We don't get what we deserve. That's mercy. Mercy. And we need to rely on the mercy of God because in that list of practices, we are going to get it wrong all the time. There are going to be times when we should forgive people and it takes us longer than it should. There are times when we should share our lives with people and we don't. There are times when we should join God on his mission and we'll miss the boat. But you know what? We're relying on his mercy. And that's good news. Really, really, really good news. 
use for us. Thirdly, we're going to rely on the patience of God. Oh, how much we need this. I don't know about you, I reckon I must test God's patience something terrible. I'm trying hard, God, but you know what? So often, I'm just late to the party. I'm, I'm like just a bit slow and sluggish and not quite there. Anyone recognize that? How patient is God? Second Peter chapter 3. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And then in verse 15 he says, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Ah. We are really only saved because God is patient. He has waited for us. He is so patient. He, doesn't, he desires that none would perish. And we could go back and look at Numbers 14 and we see God referred to there as patience. This isn't a New Testament idea of who God is. God has always been patient towards his people. We think about patience, I think, particularly as a parent in terms of time, right? I mean, how often am I like, we need to be so, like, come on, get out the door. Like, how hard is it to put on two shoes and a jacket, right? Um, it, if, you've, if you've ever had kids, you know that, right? You're standing there and you're like, and they're like my shoe, I don't know where my shoes are. It's like how, like, how did one shoe end up at the other end of the house and one at the door? Like, I mean, what happened there? Like, and, like it, we've got there's a, a new baby, there's a couple of couples with newborn babies, and they're little, right? They're about this size, right? And they go, right, it's time to get out of the house. So, I mean, how complicated is that? Well, it's a 45-minute logistical nightmare is what it is. Oh, and by the way, you had to upgrade your little car to a minivan because you've got to take all this stuff with you. It's the most painful experience in the world, getting out of the house with small children. And the smaller the children are, the longer it takes. That's the way it works. Until they become teenagers, and then they never want to go anywhere with you at all. So getting them to go somewhere with you, you've got to lasso them and drag them out of the house. I'll just stay here. No. Patience as a father becomes a little thin sometimes. God's never runs things. He never goes, oh, I've run out of time. I've got to be here now. Like, I'm getting anxious because I'm going to be late. I hate being late for things. It drives me nuts. God's not stressed like that. I, uh, I am not an astronomer or a scientist person. I, I, in fact, I really didn't like science at school very much. I was much more into kind of English and stuff like that. And, uh, but I read this this week and I thought, this is an amazing number. When we think of how, how is it that God can be so patient? Well, if we think of God as the one who created the heavens and the earth, right? That's kind of a fundamental belief of Christianity. The, the, we're not terribly interested in the process, but we know he, he is the one who made everything. Everything. Gives us a sense of his scale and the fact that he's interested in us. It's mind-boggling. He say, uh, so if he has made everything, 
How does time work for him? Why is it that he's not in a hurry to do something? Well, here's the thing. The light that's streaming through that window there comes from the sun. It left the sun about 8 minutes and 20 seconds ago. Right? We, we think of lights like this, right? You know, we flip a switch and the light's there. The light from the sun takes 8 minutes and 20 seconds to reach Earth. It takes about 24 hours to reach Scotland, it seems, in some points of the year. But 8 minutes and 20 seconds. Which is a, length, a period of time. But the nearest star to us is apparently called Proxima Centauri. So said Google. Uh, I'm not claiming to be smart enough to know that. So we've all looked up in the sky and seen the stars, right? And it's astonishing. And if you've ever been lucky enough to be somewhere where there's almost no light pollution and you look up, it seems like there's just millions of stars in the sky. The one closest to us is called Proxima Centauri. The light that we see from Proxima Centauri left Proxima Centauri four years ago. Four years for its light to get from the star to my eyes. No wonder God's not in a hurry. Time is something completely other for him. And so he's patient with us. And so for those of us who are anxious about getting things done and we need to move quicker or we need to be doing this or doing that, I think when we come to think on the patience of God, it invites us just to slow down. That verse in the Psalms, be still and know that I am God. If you're thinking on the patience of God, it's hard to be fast and rushing about as we dwell on the idea of God's patience. And so as we take our time figuring out how it is that we're going to live out these eight practices, we think of it in the context of the timing and the patience of God. We're not in a hurry. We're in God's time. And it'll be all right. The next one. This is one of my absolute favorite characteristics of God. His kindness. I don't know we talk about it enough. There's something just really gentle about the kindness of God. I remember being at a conference once, and it was one of these raucous, charismatic conferences. It was noisy, and it was loud, and it was wonderful and busy, and it was one of those things. If, you, if you've ever been to one, you know exactly what I'm talking about, and if you don't, don't worry about it. it was, but I was at this, and at one point... Uh, the person leading the service stood up at the front and he we had a time of ministry and people had been prayed for and God was doing things and it was wonderful and he stood up and he just said this isn't God kind to us and I was like oh, what a beautiful idea that not only is God good that feels a little sometimes just up there but God is kind like kindness feels tangible to me. Kindness feels like the kind of thing that leads to real stuff. Kindness feels like it's above and beyond. You don't need to do something that's kind. Kindness is a characteristic of God. In Romans chapter 2, it says this in verse 4. I'm going to read from verse 3. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? 
Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realising that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? The whole point of God's kindness is to let us see his character. And in seeing his character, we recognise that we don't match up to that. And so it leads us to a place where we lay our lives down and we repent. Now, repentance isn't just saying, God, I'm sorry, I won't do that again. Repentance, the, the word actually has the idea of turning around, changing something. It's a transformative word. It's not just a passive, I'm sorry, I won't do it again word. It's a turning around from one thing to another. And it's God's kindness that leads us to that. So as we try to live out practices, as we try to be a people who love God and love others, we need to hold on to the kindness of God, which will lead us to places of transformation, places of change, because he is so kind. Two more. We're nearly done. It's a dangerous thing for a preacher to say, isn't it? We're going to rely on the power of God. Now, there was a bit of discussion around this word when we thought, will we put this in? When we were writing out this little preamble. I don't know what the word power conjures up for you. It's absolutely true that in our worldly sense at the moment, power is a word that people are very nervous of. And actually, rightly so, because all too often power has been abused. And in actual fact, if you were reading the papers yesterday or on the internet, you'll have seen another example of a Christian leader using power for bad purposes. Heartbreaking. Power can be used badly. Power can be something that is a very negative thing. But power that rests in the hands of God... A good God, a kind God, a loving God. Now that's a different thing. Because actually God must be powerful, otherwise all the rest of it falls apart. And so we're not saying here that we're talking about power as in the power we have. This is not to say we are a powerful people. But rather it's to say we're trusting in a powerful God. And proper Christian power... I'm going to use a big word here. I'll get a row from my wife later. Is cruciform. Power in a Christian sense is cruciform. It means it's shaped like the cross. If you want to know what Christian power is, it's sacrifice and servanthood. It's not lording it over other people. It's not thinking we have all the right answers. It's not forcing other people to accept our right answers. It's humble and patient. Because we are told that we will have power. In Luke 24, Jesus, just before the ascension, says these words. Doesn't help if you look to the wrong page. You are witnesses of these things, that is, all the things that Jesus has done. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. 
The promise, and it's repeated again in Acts 1, is that we will have power to be witnesses. So as we talk about being people who serve Portobello and the surrounding areas, and as we talk about being people who will join God's mission in the world, we don't do that with our best efforts. We do that in the power of God. It's important that we rest on the power of God, because what else do we have? But we must always remember that if the power comes from God, it looks like the power God has. God has demonstrated his power. How? Through the cross. So whatever power we are given must look like that too. Never power to put us in a position over other people. But power to be able to wash someone's feet. Power to be able to pick up the lowest and help them back up again. Power to serve when we would rather not. That's the kind of power that we're given. And yes, there's loads of stuff about the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, my background's in the charismatic thing. Bring it on. Like, we'll do all that. But that is not the shape of Christian power in the context of how we live out our lives. It's not about us being able to be grandiose and show fancy things. It is about us being humble servants. That's the power that we're offered. So as we try to live this out, yes, we must rest on the power of God, but we must never forget what the power of God looks like. Finally, the love of God. This is it all, right? Because if God doesn't love, then I'm not sure this is worth doing. If he, if we were to say, God is a vindictive, angry God, and that's the appropriate description of who he is, is it worth being here this morning? I would argue no. He might still be God, but he's not worthy of our worship. He's not worthy of our sacrifice. He's not worthy of our lives if he's just a vindictive, angry, arbitrary God. But because of Jesus, we know that's not what he's like. Well, actually because of much more than that. It's pretty clear from the Old Testament too. But it's made abundantly clear in Jesus that God is love. And that his love has action. For God so loved the world that he sat down and wondered what he could do about it. Nope. For God so loved the world that he thought a lot about it. Nope. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. See, God's love leads to action. Romans 8 and verse 31 to 39. I want to read this to us because I think 
the consequences of God's love, the action of God's love are profound for us as we try to live out all of these practices, as we try to be the kind of people we think God is calling us to be here at Portobello Baptist Church. We must never, ever lose sight of the fact that the foundation stone of all of this is that God loves us. And I don't mean us in this building, but God loves everyone. I don't know how how that makes you feel. Maybe you squirm a little. Maybe you can think of someone where you think, no, God doesn't love that person. The bad news for you is that God loves everyone. And that's the best news for all of us. What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? We know brothers and sisters all around the world who are suffering those things. And the answer is it doesn't separate them from Jesus. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, says Paul, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's the basis of it, brothers and sisters. If we're going to live this Christian life, we need to hang on to that. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That is the foundation of who we are and who we're becoming. We'll never move past it. We'll never get to a point where we suddenly say, oh, I understand the love of God so well I can go and think about the other things now. Actually, we need to constantly be coming back to this. God loves us. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what's going on in your life, what what is stirring in you, what your challenges are, what your dashed hopes are, what the, the things you're worried about are. But I desperately want to say to you, and I want you to hear, you are loved by God. Not in spite of those things. God just loves you. God loves you. And so as we set ourselves up to be the kind of people who are going to live out these practices, we must remember that we are relying on God's grace, his mercy, his patience, his kindness, his power, and most of all, his love, that we might be the kind of people that God is calling us to be here. As you go out from here today, 
be dead easy just to go, oh, that's nice. I understand that little bit of preamble now. But I want you to go into this week knowing that God loves you. Not just that God puts up with you. Not just that God will not turn his back on you. But that God actively, actively loves you in the very place you are just now with all your challenges and all your difficulties and all your problems, including technological advancements. Can I pray for us? Father God, we love you. We say that you are a God worthy of our praise, worthy of our worship, worthy of our lives. Yes, you are powerful and holy and other, but you are also graceful. You are also full of mercy. You are also patient. You are kind. And above all, Lord, we have seen in Jesus that you are loving. For each one of us in here this morning, might we know deep down in that place where we really know stuff, our knower, that we are loved by you. May we live in the world this week full of the knowledge that we are loved by you and that nothing, nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Amen.